The following podcast contains explicit language. I don't think I've ever met him. I never met him. I don't think I've ever met him. You would know it if you did. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Three times he asked at one point, if we have them, why can't we use them? I've had a beautiful, I've ever had a flawless campaign. You'll be writing books about this campaign. Put this in the long, long list of things that are very unusual in the 2016 race. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man who says his friends who treat their wives too well get treated like crap in return. Be rougher and you'll see a different relationship, he advises them. That's Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. That was in an interview with Nancy Collins of ABC 20 years ago. She wrote about it this week in The Hollywood Reporter. The whole interview is eye-popping. You should check it out. And you know what else was eye-popping? The speech Donald Trump gave at a rally in Palm Beach on Thursday. Responding to the recent accusations of sexual assault, and there are two new accusers today, by the way, he issued a blanket denial, saying not just that the complaints are completely fabricated, but they were cooked up by a conspiracy between the liberal media and the Hillary Clinton campaign. It was an amazingly fascist-sounding speech, an alt-right extravaganza. Trump said Hillary Clinton meets in secret with international banks to plot the destruction of U.S. sovereignty to enrich these global financial powers. It sounded like a cut-and-paste from the anti-Semitic tirades of dictators past. I'll be back to talk more about Trump's repugnant speech and about the rather different one Michelle Obama gave yesterday with Kurt Anderson of Studio 360, right after we do the tweets. Paul Ryan should spend more time on balancing the budget, illegal immigration, and not waste his time on fighting the Republican nominee. Despite winning the second debate in a landslide every poll, it is hard to do well when Paul Ryan and others give zero support. Our very weak and ineffective leader, Paul Ryan, had a bad conference call where his members went wild at his disloyalty. With the exception of cheating Bernie out of the nomination, the Democrats have always proven to be far more loyal to each other than the Republicans. Disloyal Republicans are far more difficult than crooked Hillary. They come at you from all sides. They don't know how to win. I will teach them. It is so nice that the shackles have been taken off of me. I can now fight for America the way I want to. I am pleased to welcome back Kurt Anderson. He is a cultural critic, a novelist, and the host of the radio program and the podcast, Studio 360. Kurt, welcome back. Glad to be back, Jacob. Hi. So I thought yesterday was an amazing day in the campaign because there were these two speeches, and I actually watched both of them in full on video. Donald Trump gave this 
outrageous, conspiratorial, raging speech in Palm Beach responding to the sexual uh, sexual assault allegations. And Michelle Obama gave this uplifting, eloquent, really moving speech at Southern New Hampshire University. And I thought both speeches bore talking about, um, but the contrast was really striking. And I and you're the person I want to talk to them about. Huh. It was amazing. I, I happened to see the Trump speech live because it came during my lunch hour when I put turn on the television. And I immediately thought, this this is different than he's done before. This is a new level of hell and, and sort of degree of horror. And then I saw the uh, Michelle Obama one uh, later on, on video. And, and again, yes, had, had your very reaction, what I think is your very reaction, which is, you know, an angel on one shoulder, a devil <laughs> on the other. It's, it's, it's in, in a film where you would cut between those, it would be too extreme, you know? So maybe just to get this started, let's listen to a clip of the Trump speech in, in Palm Beach. It's a global power structure that is responsible for the economic decisions that have robbed our working class, stripped our country of its wealth, and put that money into the pockets of a handful of large corporations and political entities. The Clinton machine is at the center of this power structure. We've seen this firsthand in the WikiLeaks documents in which Hillary Clinton meets in secret with international banks to plot the destruction of U.S. sovereignty in order to enrich these global financial powers, her special interest friends, and her donors. So true. Honestly, she should be locked up. Well, so Kurt, I just that just sounded fascistic to me. I mean, do you think that's a fair description of the speech? Uh, I think it absolutely is. I mean, and and it's interesting to me. I mean, in the past, he has said many of the most atrocious things he said in, in in speeches at rallies, off the cuff, or sometimes he repeats them, but they're not reading from a teleprompter. This one, if you watch it, has this interesting combination of saying these things that literally could be translations from the German in 1933 of, <laughs> of, of Hitler speaking to the Reichstag. But to me, it was creepier that he was reading them, that he was both had this growly, angry affect, but he, he was sticking to the script. And, and that made it more ch- chilling and to me. And, and uh, you know, no surprise, everybody from the ADL to all neutral observers saw in this uh, an appeal to, uh, you know, to to many of the hot buttons of the, you know, anti-Semitic uh, conspiracist, you know, fever swamps. Um, you know, the meets in secret with international banks. Hmm. What is it? Who does that? Um, <laughs> right. Who are her donors? Who are the global financial powers? And I, you know, I also think he doesn't, Trump, I, I doubt if he even realizes that the Breitbartians, that he, what he's being fed. I don't think he totally realizes the code words and dog whistles and tropes that he is now reading off. And you wonder if Jared Jared could take him aside and say, uh, dad? <laughs> dad? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the other thing, of course, and, and he did many things in this. He did that. 
he repeated his thing about it's so important that you watch other communities. We don't want the election stolen. Philadelphia, everybody knows what I'm talking about. He might as well say, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying black people, but you understand that I am saying black people, right? I mean, the dog whistle uh, just short of, of the loud whistle was extraordinary. And then, of course, the denial of all of the sexual allegations, quote unquote, uh, against him. I mean, it, it was it was a humdinger. But to me, the humdingeriest part of it was, as I said, that he was strictly sticking to script. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there, there was a worldview that he is tapping into and expressing here. And I think this is what maybe we both react to as new, this sort of alt-right conspiratorial view in which there is an enemy, a global enemy. And again, there's the anti-Semitic trope in there. But there are these bad people who are the international bankers or the they or whoever they are is, of course, meant to be a little unclear. But they're the people who've destroyed our towns. They're the people who've destroyed our cities. And they've done this because they have a secret conspiracy with Hillary Clinton and the media to steal the wealth of the country and take it for themselves. No. And when he and again, I mean, I'm maybe pushing this a little farther than he goes explicitly, but I half when he ta- starts talking, as he has been talking these last few days about the New York Times being an important part of this uh, globalist and global conspiracy, I, I'm almost surprised he doesn't say the Salzburgers, New York Times. Do you know? I mean, uh, it's, it's, I find it extraordinary. And, and of course, now he's today, he has started uh, combining Carlos Sim, the Mexican billionaire and, and largest New York Times investor, into this, into this cabal, which because is, he's uh, Mexican, because he's, he's Mexican, yeah, a guy who, by <laughs> all accounts, has yeah. had nothing to do with the New York running the New York Times, the editorial policy. I mean, he he sort of bailed them out. It was it was a reverse, the reverse of the Mexican bailout. He bailed out the New York Times when it was really up against it a few years ago. But if he wasn't Mexican, you wouldn't be hearing his name from Donald Trump. Uh, no, I don't believe you would. I mean, if if he was foreign, some other kind of foreign person, you might. But Mexican, of course, is perfect. Right. And he's given money to the Clinton Foundation. So you draw these connections that, you know, he's world's biggest, richest man. Why wouldn't he give money to one of, one of the world's most important foundations, right? But that becomes this insidious connection. Look, you're not seeing this pattern that all these people are connected and everything bad that's happened to you, people cheering to put Hillary Clinton in jail at, at the rally. It's because of this invisible conspiracy. Well, exactly. And, you know, for, for the first six months or even year that he was running for president, people said of Donald Trump, oh, he's incoherent. He has no coherent ideology. Well, that was true. But now, perhaps because the CEO of Breitbart is also the C- is now the CEO of his campaign, Steve Bannon, there is a coherence of sort, which is uh, which which is the coherence of these right and right plus left fusion paranoia conspiracy theories that have been growing for the last twenty five years. We've just never seen them apart from Pat Robertson here and Pat Buchanan there at the center of the national political discourse in the way that he he is now bringing them in this again whether they're coherent or not they exist as a pseudo coherent way of thinking about the world uh, that he is now the, the you know parroting and there's a thing that goes well beyond anything Pat Buchanan ever did where in this speech he's presenting himself as a martyr yes suffering on behalf of his followers yes. and there's this sort of 
transfiguration that takes place. Very striking thing in the speech. He said, you know, you think that these fabricated accusations about sexual assault don't hurt. Of course they hurt me, but I'm suffering for you. Which which is not the first time. I mean, you know, again, we we, we all gingerly stepped into using the F word that is fascist a year ago, more than a year ago. But I don't think we have to be too gingerly about it anymore, because that is a historically a, a trope from fascist leaders again and again, is that I am suffering on your behalf, mein Volk. You know, <laughs> right. I mean, uh, th- that, of course, one could also say it's it's Christian. But given given Donald Trump's unfamiliarity with Christianity, I'd I go with the fascist more than the christ <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm not getting as many Christian tropes here. But, you know, there's a question of what these people in the hall who are cheering so wildly for for him believe, because Trump is telling them, don't believe your own eyes. Don't believe the media. Believe what I'm telling you. There's a real reality. And it's what I say it is. Do you think the people who are still supporting him and the people who are his core supporters just accept that reality is whatever he says it is, i.e., these women and the New York Times and Hillary Clinton made up these a- a- allegations of sexual assault, or do they do they know that it's pro- it's almost certainly mostly true, but not care? I think it's a it's some combination of those, and it, of course it depends on the person. We can't say that all the five thousand people or ten thousand people in a hall, let alone all the thirty nine percent or forty two percent of Americans who say they'll vote for him, are one thing or another. I think it's a combination, and of course there is a there's a you know law, venerable American history of kind of believing, sort of believing things. I mean, P.T. Barnum, you know, invented this idea of putting fakes on display that he kind of winked at. People sometimes winked at. People sometimes thought it was true. But that blurriness has always been a thing in 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 the pop culture. Uh, never quite to this extent, I think, in the national political culture. But so I I, I don't know. Some of them do. That, that the question you've just asked is like the question people ask about the fans of professional wrestling. Do they really believe it or do they kind of believe it? Well, I think it's very much like that. Right. You, do, you don't have to make that choice to enjoy it. You're, yeah. you're a participant in, in that spectacle, and that's not a really relevant question to them. And, and in this case, they hate Hillary Clinton for whatever variety of reasons. They hate her with more vehemence than they kind of sort of pretend to hate the world wrestling, uh, the WWE villain of the evening, you know? So there were two more accusers who came forward today. And, of course, the accusations, again, matched. I mean, one of them, actually, the accusation was that in a nightclub, Trump grabbed her by the genitals. I mean, it was like literally what he bragged about is exactly what these women are coming forward to say he did. So these allegations are coming out at the rate of uh, currently maybe about 10 a week. I mean, there were two, there were two, two days ago, two more today. They're going to keep coming, obviously. Well, and also, by by the way, I mean, you know, maybe they're, they are, there are various degrees of uh, absolutely corroborated or not, but these are the ones let's remember that have been vetted by reasonably responsible news organizations, as opposed to, it's not as though just a thousand unvetted, uncorroborated allegations have come out. These have been through, to some, to some great degree, trustworthy sieves. But how can, how can Trump 
You know, so they're going to be five more, maybe more by by the time of the debate next week on yeah. Wednesday. How can he get through a debate taking the position that it's all fabricated? I mean, at some point, the sheer implausibility of his claim that none of this is true, that the media is making it up, it's risible. It's it's absurd. Yeah, it does seem that way. And 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 again, uh, if we look at his base and, and then beyond his base, the people who are saying, oh, I don't care, I'm going to vote for him anyway. Yes, you think when the numbers uh, build up that, it, that, that a point comes, as it did with Bill Cosby, where people just uh, have to say, yeah, this is not a coordinated conspiracy. All these people are not lying. Let's say half of them are. It's still a whole lot of people whom he's assaulted. So I, it's hard to see how this ends, given that there's you know more than three weeks left <laughs> until the election. So, you know, this I watched this speech like you did yesterday. It kind of got me down, to be honest. I mean, it's just that you, you know, that we we share a political common space with this guy who is increasingly just behaving like a monster. And also what, you know, what it implies about male behavior. And it's just it's just depressing as hell. And then I got home and I watched this speech uh, uh, Michelle Obama gave. The the fact is that In this election, we have a candidate for president of the United States who over the course of his lifetime and the course of this campaign has said things about women that are so shocking, so demeaning, that I I simply will not repeat anything here today. And last week, we saw this candidate actually bragging about sexually assaulting women. And I can't believe that I'm saying that a candidate for president of the United States has bragged about sexually assaulting women. And I have to tell you that I, I can't stop thinking about this. It has shaken me to my core in a way that I couldn't have predicted. And to make matters worse, <laughs> it now seems very clear that this isn't an isolated incident. It's one of countless examples of how he has treated women his whole life. And I have to tell you that I listen to all of this and I feel it so personally. And I'm sure that many of you do too, particularly the women. The shameful comments about our bodies, the disrespect of our ambitions and intellect, the belief that you can do anything you want to a woman, it is cruel. It's it's frightening. And the truth is, it hurts. I have to say, it just it just turned it around for me because I thought her speech was it was just inspiring. And you know what? She defended men. Thank you, Michelle Obama, for saying Donald Trump does not represent men. Uh, Absolutely. Which which, again, I I have been uh, I've been grateful to women all week long who have who have done that. Because, again, on the one hand, Donald Trump is not unique in his monstrousness in this way by any means. But I, I think it's fair to say he is in a small minority of miscreants. In, 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 and let's not say it's how he talks, how he behaves. Is, and and uh, no, it, I, it, was, it was amazing. I mean, we, we already knew from, from the, her speech at the convention and before that she's an extraordinary speaker who can combine, you know, a sense of of sincere emotion with, you know, a kind of great performance of a, of a speech, of a script. But in, in this instance, at this moment, it was, I, I, I agree with you, it, it, uh, 
made me feel a little better about, uh, about uh, the state of the world, at least uh, the state, the part of the world that she represents. Kurt, part of what's amazing there is if you, when you hear it, her voice is quavering, it's kind of shaking. I mean, she clearly is upset. I mean, this yeah. is, it, you know, it's a great political speech because she really, really seems to me she was stopping being, she wasn't trying to give a political speech. She was saying how she felt. Right. And it isn't a stump speech that she has given many times and, and, and inserted uh, an illusion of authentic emotion into it. Uh, it was uh, about the moment, from the moment, and obviously uh, from the heart. Also, I mean, again, as I look at, as I, as, as, since we are comparing them, I mean, trying not too much to disrespect Florida, but the fact that <laughs> she gave that in Manchester, New Hampshire, and he gave his in Palm Beach, Florida. Again, it's just too pat if you're writing this as a story. <laughs> it, it, clearly, yes, she she was moved, and uh, and I, I I I think the fact that. You know, the, the persuadables, you know, those either those Republicans who are deciding whether to vote at all or vote for him or 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 in some few cases, I suppose, vote for Hillary Clinton. Um, I think I think can be I think this can have a political effect in, in, in beyond, as, you, as you're suggesting, just surely the the cleansing rhetorical a wind of, of what she said in New Hampshire. Yeah. And, you know, assuming Trump loses, and I do assume that at this point, th- there are all sorts of terrible things that come out of the election anyway, the coarsening of our political dialogue, the way that America looks to the rest of the world. But something positive that seems to me may come out of it is feminism becoming more the norm for men as well as women. I mean, I just think that's such a persuasive view. I don't know how a man can hear that speech. And not think, my God, I've got to look at the world more this more the way Michelle Obama does. Well, yes, one would like to think that, but there are also many, many millions of people, men as women as well as men, probably, who will say, "Oh, this is just we're just going to enforce political correctness even more strictly now." I mean, yes, for many, many reasons, um, actual and symbolic. If and when Donald Trump loses, that will be a great day. But let's not pretend that even if um, feminism is empowered and 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 all the rest, that uh, the, the 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 rocks haven't been turned over and the ugliness won't continue. I, I was also struck. I mean, these last as he doubles down on things, he, he's doubled down on the the, the casual uh, kind of misogyny that I don't think he's. It's extraordinary to me. He he in two different at least two different occasions, Donald Trump has talked about. The, his his debate performance at the last debate. In one case, he said, "Oh, they say I invaded Hillary's space. Believe me, the last space I know want to invade <laughs> is her space." Which is to say, I wouldn't do her. I mean, essentially, is what he's saying. Yeah, uh, and the same he, thing about one of his the accuser, the woman from People Magazine. He said, right. "Look at her. I don't think so." Yes, exactly. So uh, he is certainly he is unshackled. We we thought when he said he was being unshackled, we all thought everybody said, "Oh, how can that be?" Well, now we're seeing it. We we thought it couldn't get worse. No, it can. But I guess I guess what I'm suggesting, I didn't say it very well a minute ago, but that 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 he is such a caricature of the male abuser. Yes. Uh, that this prompts some greater consciousness of how prevalent it is for women to be subjected to people like him and the, right. the the harm they cause. I mean, I guess my view of the world was just, of course, sexual harassment and sexual abuse are really common, but they're getting better and standards are rising. 
I the the dialogue we've heard in relation to Donald Trump since this has come out, I think is made it's made much clearer to me that nearly all women have experienced this, and maybe they've all experienced it because of Donald Trump and you know a, a small number of other people like Donald Trump, but that this is a very active factor in the lives of American women. No, I think that's right, and th- and that has been you know that has been a revelation to me because this is not. We're not no longer talking about excessively what what one could argue are 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 the, the the excessive lengths of trigger warnings on college campuses. These are average, typical, random, grown women who are uh, talking about uh, this. It, it, yes, and as you say, it, it's clearly more common than non-predators like you and I imagined, <laughs> previously imagined it was, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and I guess if you, you, know, you came into this debate thinking, yeah, I think political correctness is the big problem in our society. Yeah. You watch these two speeches, and I, I defy you to come away feeling that way. Yeah, no, exactly right. I've been speaking to Kurt Anderson. Kurt, thanks for joining me on the show. My pleasure, Jacob. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast was produced by Jason DeLeon. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of the Panoply Network. John Domenico is our voice of Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. We'll be back next week with more Trumpcast. Back in June of 2015, I announced my presidency. As you know, I was shackled. I was restrained. I couldn't say what I wanted to say. I was politically correct. But now the shackles are off. And I am going to say what's really on my mind. No more, Mr. Nice Trump. No more, Mr. Politically Correct. No more holding back. Now, I am going to really say what I think. The shackles are off. I feel freer. I feel lighter. And I feel so much better. And I am really now going to go after Hillary. I've been holding back. No more.